Welcome to the Work Life Brilliance Podcast with executive coach and best-selling author, Denise Renee Green. Denise fills each episode with humor, compassion, knowledge, and pragmatism to help you transform your life. Listen in and learn how you can tame your brain, lower your stress, and become the person you were born to be. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Work Life Brilliance Podcast. It is me, your host, Denise Renee Green, and I am very, very happy that you joined me. Today, I'm going to talk about personality. So if I were to ask you to describe your personality, what would you say? Many of you might say, well, I'm an INTJ, or some other variation of some assessment that you have taken. If you are listening to this podcast, I think there's a really good chance that you have taken some kind of assessment of your personality, whether it's Myers-Briggs or DISC, Lumina, there's so many out there. And I don't know about you, but, well, with one exception, I'm going to talk about that assessment a little bit later, I feel boxed in. I feel misunderstood by many of these personality tests. And I tend to break the test, meaning if I take the MBTI one time, I come out with a certain profile. And if I take it another time, I come out with a different profile. It depends on what I'm thinking and feeling and working on at the time, my context. And this is not a bad thing. We want to have flexibility in our personality. The other thing I don't like about most assessments is that people use them almost as a badge, as they really identify with these letters or this profile that really doesn't explain who they are at their essence. It just describes their default behaviors. So here's something that is very important for us to understand. You are not your personality. Just like you are not your arm. You know, if something happened and I lost my arm, I would still be me. I would still be the human being with the soul that is Denise Renee Green, born on a certain day in a certain place. I would still be me. Your behaviors do not define you. Now, let's face it. We know that everybody is born with some default preferred behaviors. Anybody who's a parent and has had more than one child or has had siblings in the same household, even twins. We make up stories about our context, and those stories help reinforce our default behaviors and our default thinking. But there is way more available to you than your default preferences for how to behave. So let's talk about, if we're not our personality, what is personality? So I love Gary Zukov and how he talks about it in Seed of the Soul. And essentially, he says it's a tool. Our personality is a tool we use to function in the physical world. It is our coping mechanism, our preferred way of being and acting, and our way of making sense of the world. When I deliver this workshop about personality, I ask a few silly questions in the beginning, and I have people stand somewhere in the room aligned with their response. 
So for example, I'll ask them, your favorite vacation, would you rather be on a beach? Would you rather be in a city? And they will stand accordingly. And then I'll ask some more questions. Um, do you like to go out on a Friday night or stay in? Do you like to receive critical feedback very clearly and directly and swiftly? Or would you rather it be really soft with lots of pillows of praise around it? And invariably, you got people all over the room. You got some in the middle, you've got some on each end. And then I ask them, which of you is right? And they giggle because they all think they're right. And of course, to them, they are. And we all know that it's much easier to be around somebody with similar personality, or it tends to be. Like if you're going to travel, you want to travel with somebody that has the same preferences as you. Staying in, going out, doing something adventurous, doing something calm. But we can flex. And if we want to grow, we have to flex. So you can think of personality as like your favorite sweater. It's the one where as soon as you put it on, you just feel like you belong. You feel like all is right in the world. You feel cozy. You feel appropriate. You feel like you want to be seen in it. But you can wear any sweater. And you need to change your sweater when it gets hot out. You're going to want to put on a lighter weight garment. Or you're going to want to throw a coat on. Or depending on the occasion. But with our personalities, so often we go around practicing the same behavior over and over and over. And then sometimes we use our personality as an excuse. Well, that's just who I am. In fact, that is one of the bad habits Marshall Goldsmith writes about in his very famous book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. And he talks about, this is in the context of leadership, and if you're going to become a successful leader, you have to shift your personality. So if you liked doing and driving, you have to become somebody who facilitates work through others, who inspires and motivates others to do great work. Otherwise, you will burn people out, people will leave, um, morale will be horrible. So it involves this very hard process of change. Remember, the brain doesn't like change. But we have to evolve our behaviors if we want to succeed in the world. Otherwise, we just keep practicing the same old behavior and we get really good. So maybe if you are a really directive, to the point person, you get really good at that and so good at that that you start really hurting people. Not that you can literally hurt people with your words, but you say things that um, harm your relationships, or harm your credibility. So this is about being, being intentional about what you want to practice instead of just always going with your default behavior. All right, so I want to talk to, be, talk to you about the one personality assessment that I do love. And you've probably heard me talk about it. Um, you may know it. And that is called the Enneagram. Now, many of you listening know the Enneagram very well. And so this won't be really news to you. Um, I am going to tell you where you can get a free Enneagram assessment if you want to. Um, I don't get paid for that, uh, but there is a great company now that has an almost foolproof test. The Enneagram's been around for a long time, and Enneagram just means nine symbols. And there are nine types. So there's a lot more flexibility in the Enneagram, and I can't really go into it all in a short podcast, but not only are there nine types, but 
there are three types under each of those. So there's 27 potential types, and then there are instructions for where you can go to develop yourself, which type is most accessible to you to help you become a more versatile version of yourself. So I'm going to quickly describe the nine types, and you can start to get a sense of how personality is our coping mechanism for coping with our fears and our achieving our motivations. That's what's different about the Enneagram than other types, um, typing assessments that describe what you do in the world. This describes not only what you do, but why. So, and as you're listening, think about which one might describe you the best, and, um, and then you can guess which one I am. All right, so the first one is called the strict perfectionist. This is the one. And the perfectionist is motivated by doing the right thing. They are the idealists in the world. They want to be a good person, and they want to be seen as a good person. Ones don't strive for perfection in everything, just the things that matter to them. So some qualities that are important to ones, self-control, integrity, quality. You know, at a macro level, they see what's wrong in the world, and they want to heal the world. So Gandhi may have been a one, some people think. At a micro level, they'll walk into a room and see that the picture's crooked or the pencil's not straight, and they'll fix it. Ones tend to be seen as overly critical, but ones are most critical of themselves. So every person has an inner critic, but the one's inner critic is on steroids. So the one can learn to relax standards and realize that sometimes B-minus work is perfect and that not everything has to meet a high standard. And ones can learn to have self-worth and really value themselves and all their imperfections. So another famous person might be Martha Stewart. And um, baking would be more a one-like behavior than just cooking because of the precision. That's not to say that ones won't love cooking. Um, as far as cultures go, you can probably think of which cultures are one-like cultures. Germany, Switzerland, they are clean, things run on time, things work. Okay, so let's move on to the two. The two is the considerate helper. Twos value relationships and kindness. When I am doing a workshop and I walk into the room, I can usually tell the two because they will come up to me and say, what do you need? And I am so grateful that they are asking me because I might need something. So twos want to help. Now why? Why do they want to help? They want to be loved. They want to be liked. Now we all want to be loved and we all want to be liked, but for twos, that is in the forefront and their fear is not being loved. So a possible famous considerate helper would be Mother Teresa or one of my favorite authors, Byron Katie. Twos have a huge heart and really genuinely care about people. They're great listeners. They ask questions. They show concern. But um, they can also forget to take care of themselves and build up resentment. So it's really important for the two to draw boundaries and make sure they say no when they want to say no and take care of themselves. The three is the competitive achiever. 
And boy, do we live in a three-like culture in the United States. This is the type that most cares about outward appearances and success. Now, there is a subtype of the three. Remember I said there were three types under each of the types. There is a subtype of the three that actually is not vain and doesn't care about appearances, so much so that they will go out of their way to not look like they care about appearances. So it doesn't mean that they still don't care about success, but their success might be in Birkenstocks versus a power suit. All right, threes set goals and achieve them. Threes are fast and threes fear failure. So criticism can be very hard for a three to hear. Um, empathy can be hard for a three to show because they're moving so fast and they're just worried, concerned about getting things done. So when a three slows down and shows some vulnerability and care for people, they can become fantastic to be around because who doesn't want to achieve goals? It's very exciting. Um, and who doesn't want to do it in a way where we're doing it together instead of trailing behind somebody? So famous people, man, there, there are so many famous threes in this um, country. Uh, a lot of athletes, Michael Jordan, politicians, Bill Clinton, um, celebrities, Oprah Winfrey. I think you get the idea. The four is the intense, creative, sensitive, withdrawn, potentially moody type. They need to feel authentic. They fear being seen as normal, and they fear being misunderstood. Again, we all don't like being misunderstood, but for the four, it's really heartbreaking. So a four can be really deep and intense, and of all the types, the four has the most comfort with all emotions, including the ones that some of us would rather not feel. Fours just feel it all, and they kind of don't understand why other people don't want to hear about it. So the four has to learn to relax, them, relax and be less intense and to take things less personally and to really, really value themselves just the way they are. So a possible famous intense creative, well, Picasso, Matisse, even Steve Jobs. You know, if you know about Steve Jobs, it was all about the art. He started with calligraphy, um, and he made a product that he wanted it to be beautiful and unique. And he did. I mean, who the heck would think to make a phone out of glass? Steve Jobs. All right, the quiet specialist is number five. Einstein must have been a quiet specialist. These are the intense cerebral types. They need their own space to do their thinking. They have strong boundaries, and unless you get them talking about something they're really passionate about, they are very quiet, thus the quiet specialist. They are motivated by a need to understand things deeply. So if you want to know something about a particular topic, find a, find a five who knows about that topic, and they would be happy to talk to you about it. So these can be scientists, these can be professors. I work with a ton of fives in the workplace, and they have to work, if they're going to be leaders and influencers, on coming out from their cave and interacting and being interpersonal. 
and they absolutely can do it, and it's so exciting when they do. The inventor of the assessment uh, that I use for the Enneagram is Dirk Clote, and he is a five, and he jokes that to fives, it's all about the brain. In fact, the body is just a bag for carrying the brain. So fives need to get in touch with their body, feel their emotions, and reach out to others because fives can be very warm and witty and funny. Um, they just need to remember to follow through. Loyal skeptic, skeptic is number six. These can be very warm, committed, engaging, responsible, but also very anxious type. They are the worst-case scenario planners. They're not going to trust you right away. You're going to have to earn their trust. But when you have their trust, they are loyal. That's why we're calling them the loyal skeptic. They don't want to get burned. They're very cautious. And they are constantly worst-case scenario planning. What could go wrong? They have thought it through, and they have a plan. And their fear is being caught without a plan. So this is the most anxious of all the types, because you can imagine when they think about what could go wrong, they find a lot of things that could go wrong. So the loyal skeptic needs to know when enough planning is enough, to open their hearts earlier to people, to give people the benefit of the doubt, and to manage their anxiety. So possible famous loyal skeptics include Richard Nixon, Princess Diana, Woody Allen. And sometimes you have no idea that they are anxious, but it's all going on silently. And seven is the enthusiastic visionary. And when people are taking this assessment, they all say, oh, I wish I was the seven. The seven is the busy, fun-loving, adventurous, spontaneous type. Sometimes we say that they have shiny object syndrome. They love change. They hate stag being stagnant. They want to experience it all, but they don't want to experience dark emotions until they evolve and grow. My mom is a seven, and one of her favorite phrases is, think good thoughts. I will never forget when we were driving and my car's check engine light came on, and my mom said, think good thoughts. And I said, how about I push the diagnostic button and see what's up? <laughs> and I did. And I don't remember what it was, but I got the information that I needed. It was no big deal. But I just thought it was hilarious that that was my, my mom's way of thinking about it. Um, my, my mom is a fantastic listener. And sevens, when they really slow down, can become the most amazing listeners because they don't worry about you. They don't judge you. Like, it's going to be okay. You're going to get through it. They have that sense. So you can uh, complain to them without worrying that they're going to try and fix you for the most part. So sevens are deeply fearful of missing out. So for the seven to get comfortable with all emotions, including the ones they kind of want to run away from, that is the work that they need to do. So famous potential sevens, maybe Thomas Jefferson, Amelia Earhart, George Clooney. So think about the adventurers you know. They might be sevens. Sevens are also great for the party. They're probably going to bring the wine and the chips and the beer um, because life is a party. Life is short. The eight is the active controller. And as you can tell by the type, eights want to be in control. 
Now, most of us like to have some kind of feeling of control, but for eights, they fear being out of control more than anything. And this is why eights have a hard time showing vulnerability because that feels like they're out of control. That feels like weakness. They are very candid. You will always know what they're thinking. Um, they are very direct in their communications, action-oriented, quick-moving. Um, eights can be described as bulls in a china shop. Like, why do we have to make nice? We all see what needs to be done. Why don't we just do it? So eights can be very effective and very powerful when they learn to exert influence instead of trying to just tell people what to do, to really bring people along. And when they learn to show vulnerability. Sometimes um, I describe eights as marshmallows wrapped in concertina wire. There's a big heart there, but most people don't see it and are afraid to approach it because they don't want to get stung pricked. So famous active controllers Winston Churchill, Martin Luther King Jr., Franklin Delano Roosevelt, these were amazing leaders who could get things done through others. The nine is the adaptive peacemaker. Easygoing, self-effacing, receptive, empathetic, agreeable, complacent. Nines are all about harmony. Nines want peace, and they fear and run away from conflict. So there's a lot of great stuff about the nines. They see everybody as equal. They um, can empathize with anybody and really feel what it's like to be that person. But they are so fearful of conflict that they can be passive-aggressive. Instead of just saying the thing that they want to say, they have to try and get at it indirectly. So one of the things I love about the Enneagram, I alluded to earlier, it tells you which types you go to under stress and at your best. And for nines, at their best, they go to the threes tendency to get stuff done. Nines procrastinate, the typical nine. But when a nine accesses their threeness, they get things done instead of just worrying about them and fretting. Nines also go to the six. So at the low side of the six, nines can really be anxious. But at the high side of the six, nines pull their ostrich head out of the sand and actually do some worst case scenario planning. And they think about, okay, what could go wrong? Let's make a plan for it. Let's just slow down and think through. So if you haven't guessed already, um, I am a nine. And I can think of times in my life where I have avoided conflict for the sake of harmony and then actually produced more conflict in my life. Or where I have made a snap judgment, so I can also go to the three in a wrong way, where um, because I want to experience less discomfort, I make a snap judgment. I did this once with buying a home. I mean, everything in me, all my instincts said this was not the right home. But I didn't want to move twice, and we'd already sold a house in the city and needed to move. I didn't want to rent. Um, I wanted to be settled. Nines like to nest. They like harmony in their environments. If you came into my house, the colors, the symmetry, um, it's the plants, it's all very harmonious, at least for me. It feels very harmonious. So... Um, 
I made the biggest investment of my life, along with my husband, um, on a house that I probably should never have bought in the first place. So that's an example of something, you know, disharmonious I did in my life for the wrong reasons. So famous nines, Abraham Lincoln, Barack Obama, and culturally, um, some say that Bali, I've never been to Bali, but apparently it's very spiritual, it's very harmonious, very beautiful. So if you want to find out which Enneagram type you are and learn way more than I've just told you, you'll learn so much, you'll feel so seen and they've added a new page that describes your subtype, which is like, you know, if the sweater is your type, the accessories are your subtype. So you could have three people who are all eights, but they all look very different from each other in the way they behave, in the way they present themselves. And some types have subtypes that are so surprising. Um, the six, for example, there is a particular subtype of the six. Remember, the six, six is the anxious type that's um, fearful. Well, one of the types of the six handles that by moving toward fear. So I will have these people come up to me in a workshop and say, there is absolutely no way I can be a six. Say, you know, I'm afraid of heights, so I bungee jump. Like, um, yes, that is your way of coping with fear. Somebody else would just avoid heights. So that's called a counterphobic six. So if you take the assessment, you will learn so much about yourself and your potential path to development. So this is all about growing, because as Tony Robbins said, we're either growing or dying. And you want to practice behaviors intentionally so you grow in the right direction, instead of deepening habits that are not serving you. So I am so excited for you to find this out. The company is Integral, um, Integral Enneagram, www integrative9.com is the website you want to go to to take your assessment. Again, it's integrative9.com. And I'm so excited for you to find out more about yourself, to have epiphanies. You'll probably figure out more about some of the people in your life as well, although you can never type somebody because people don't tell us why they're doing what they do. So, and a lot of times we don't even know what our core mo motivation is. But when you see it in writing, you have this epiphany like, oh my gosh, I just thought everybody cared about that or feared that or was moving toward that. No, we all have our own special motivation and this thing that we're seeking in the world. I am seeking to create more harmony in my life and in the world. And I do it through the use of my strengths and hopefully I will put enough three and six into my nineness and bring forth some really, really valuable work in the world that helps people and improves their lives. All right, so again, it is integrative nine, and that's the number nine, not the word nine, integrative9.com. Um, I don't get paid for those. Enjoy, and um, I'd love to hear what you learn. All right, thanks, and have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening to Work Life Brilliance. If you like what you heard, 
The best compliment you can give us is to share this podcast with a friend. And be sure to give us some stars and a favorable review at iTunes. 